0: becoming the person god desires me to be um i know that's a long long thing but uh, we are we are people that are becoming it does not yet appear what we shall be but we know when he shall appear we shall be like him amen, amen. so we're in the becoming stage of life we are we're not where we are going to be but we're not where we were and we're on our journey, and God's, God's making us. He's creating us. He said, He that the Son has set free is free indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He didn't say said. He said make you free. God has to make us. He makes us. He creates and recreates. And, and a potter is a, is a very beautiful thing. Read Jeremiah 18 sometime. A potter is a very wonderful thing. I've seen a lot of potters at work. They always lift the clay. But when that, when they realize that that vessel is marred, they, they make another vessel. And so Almighty God is not ashamed of making you another vessel, a better vessel of prayer, a better vessel of worship, a better vessel of just your attitude in life because God wants us to be the very best we can. We are ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Amen. And we've got to show the goodness and the favor that he has blessed us with. To all the people I married last year, I love you. I got some newlyweds in this church that are just absolutely incredible. They're faithful kids. And to all the folks who lost families last year and you lost family members last year, I love you. And to all you that had some heartbreak last year, you're loved here. And to all you that had some of the greatest victories you ever had in your life last year, I love you. Because everybody, whether you're on the mount or whether you're in the valley, wherever wherever you are in life, you have a place. There is a place where you can go, where you're loved by a host of people. And CLC is that kind of church. And let it be spread throughout this city that if you want to go to a place where somebody will love you, you be a part of CLC because we will love you. That's right. 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 There's a, might be a lot better preachers all over the city, but I promise you they're not going to outlove us. I promise you that's going to happen. Turn around, somebody say, I'm, I'm proud to be here tonight. You may be seated and uh, I'm to talk to you. God bless you. Amen. Wow. What a beautiful crowd. Amens are in order. First three words on my notes. We did it. We made it through another year. Now we're looking 2014 square in the eye. And what a new year this is going to be. A year full of possibility. A year full of opportunity. 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 and one quarter days. 8,760 hours. 525,000 minutes and 31,536 seconds. What will we do with all this time? You know, somebody said that the reason a year is so slow for a six-year-old is because that's one-sixth of his life. But the reason it speeds by for a 60-year-old is because it's one-sixtieth of his life. (laughs) How many of you feel like the time is kind of speeding up on you? It's called age, folks. It's called age. So typically this time of the year, we make what we call New Year's resolutions. In the dictionary, a resolution is defined as a course of action decided upon a fixed purpose. One man said it this way. He said, the New Year is here, and already I'm about 90 days ahead on my calories and 90 days behind on my bills. (laughs) We resolve to do things differently. We resolve to lose weight. I've lost seven pounds. Somebody brag on me. We, we, we resolve to exercise more. hush. We resolve to be a better person. We resolve to dispense with the old bad habits and begin some new good habits. Some newspapers around America have been allowing people to post New Year's resolutions on their website, and I like them. One of them is that I resolve to stop feeding the office plant leftover coffee. <laughs> I will use water instead. Another one, as much as I hate government intervention, I resolve to try to get a law passed that requires every person on the face of this earth to have to use their common sense at least once a day. <laughs> I love that. Or this one, I resolve as a theater major, I, I seldom have much time to eat real food, never mind eating with my family. So this year I resolved to try real hard, capital R, capital E, capital A, capital L, real hard to stop eating McDonald's and Wendy's for two out of three meals a day. If that isn't possible, I promise to at least clean the remains from my car. (laughs) Here's another one. I I wish to become the old crony that my body already says that I am and stop trying to look like Barbie due to our culture. (laughs) That's funny. I should have said Ken so the women wouldn't feel so bad about it. I hereby resolve to accept the changes occurring at my work. I will try to remember that the decision makers have a brain and will use it if necessary. Finally, I will cheer for them if it works, and I will not laugh at them if it doesn't. New resolution. Here's a neat one. I like this one. I would never say it, but this guy said, I refuse to take responsibility for my decisions. (laughs) I will never take the blame. I will never stand by my promises, and I will ignore the needs of the poor. In short, my resolution is to become a politician. (laughs) I'm just reading it, folks. I didn't write it. And the last one is my resolution is to become as wonderful a person as my dog thinks I am. (laughs) Amen to that. One man calls these seven-ups for the new year. Seven-ups, nothing to do with the soft drink. These seven-ups fall under the heading of attitude and action. The first seven up, the first up, you gotta wake up. You gotta begin the day with the Lord. It's his day. Rejoice in it. You gotta dress up, you gotta put on a smile, it improves your looks, it says something about your attitude. You gotta shut up. You gotta watch your tongue, don't gossip, say nice things, and learn to listen. You gotta stand up. You gotta take a stand for what you believe, you gotta resist evil and you've got to do good. You've got to look up, you gotta open your eyes to the Lord. After all, He's your only Savior. You've got to reach up. You've got to spend time in prayer with your adorations and confessions and thanksgivings and supplications to the Lord. And you've got to lift up. You've got to be available to help those in need, serving, supporting, and sharing. Clap your hands to that. That's good, good, good stuff. Now, I'm going to read a little passage here from the book of Daniel chapter 1. We're going to talk about Daniel tonight. So let's go to Daniel chapter 1 if you... Have a Bible you can follow if you don't look right up here. said, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And uh, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3, then the king ordered whatever that man is, Ash, somebody, chief of his court officials, we don't worry about him, to bring in the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Verse 4. All right. Young men without any physical defects, handsome, show an aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, kind of like Mitch and Josh and Brad and (laughs) Randy, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Verse 5. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. I want to say it right now. Daniel never took that name. The other boys did, but Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, and he always called himself Daniel. He was not going to allow Babylon to change his name. It was the Lord's name. Daniel was the Lord's name, and Belshazzar was a Babylonian name. I love the fact that he kept his name even in Babylon. Amen? Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit here tonight. 2014 offers challenges and opportunities. Christians row upstream against basically an anti-Christian society. The future is both exciting and the future is somewhat fearful. No matter what is faced in this unpredictable year, folks, culturally, politically, spiritually, changes approach us at mock speed. Daniel faced some experiences, painful opportunities, and made the most of them. 25,000 years old the story, or 2,500 years old the story is, yet the message is as contemporary as today's headlines. In every crisis, in every trauma, Daniel found opportunity for God to use him for the good in this world. Daniel is an excellent model for us, so what do we know about Daniel? I want to tell you in just a moment, but I want to read Romans now, chapter 5, verse 1 through 8 in the message version. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. You got it? That's not it. That's not it. All right. I'll read it to you. That's what I'll read. Take that off. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him. This is the message. Make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and God's glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue. Keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers, wow, to hold everything that God generously pours into our life through the Holy Spirit. Is that good stuff? Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use To him whatsoever. Aren't you glad that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners? Aren't you happy for that? So we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about it. Daniel was born into a wealthy family. I'm going to give you a little history of him here tonight. He was part of the elite of his day. He was a renaissance man. He was a valedictorian of his class. He had encyclopedic knowledge of many things in the world, like scientifically, socially, spiritually, and politically. He was a well-rounded young man, not only smart, but he was healthy. He was a physically fit young man. He was a teacher's dream, and he was a coach's dream. He had a high social standing. He was a relative of the king of Judah. He was raised with all the privileges and status of royalty and wealth and power and education. He ran with kings and dignitaries throughout the eastern Mediterranean world all as a teenager Stay with me. He enjoyed a host of servants. He had servants as a teenager. With all his wealth and charm, Daniel was every mother-in-law's dream. Yet, with his privileges, Daniel was not proud or arrogant. He was a young man of character. He was not lazy. He was not self-indulgent. He was absolutely committed to God and refused to compromise himself in any area. Daniel was a young man with a future in his life. He would have been voted the most likely to succeed in his class. But Daniel was caught in a world system and a culture that forgot God. And God repeatedly sent prophets to warn the people of Israel. But in 605 B.C., God allowed the superpower of that day, Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies to attack Jerusalem and take over the city. Before returning to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar set up a puppet government in Jerusalem and took members of the royal family back to Babylon as captive to hold them hostage as ransom. And Daniel was one of the youngest hostages selected. You're going to be blown away in just a moment. Nebuchadnezzar's plans called for Daniel and his friends to be rigorously trained and indoctrinated in Babylonian thinking and Babylonian ideology for three years. Then, at the age of 17, he would enter or they would enter into the king's service. In other words, when he took these young men, Michelle, Azariah, and Hananiah, they were 14 years of age. Daniel was 14 years of age. We talk about our young people over there. We say, when are they going to make decisions? I'm here to declare to you that the man I'm preaching about tonight was 14 years old. When he went into Babylonian captivity, and in a short period of his time of his life, it, he was, his life was turned upside down. From a carefree teenager to a servant of a foreign king, he was taken from his family. He would never see his homeland again. He would never be able to worship in the temple again or see his family again. He lost his spiritual mentors and was taken to a land where God was mocked. He was taken 800 miles to a new home on the Euphrates River. Daniel faced unbelievable adversity with a true character. And I'm sure he had some doubts and concerns. He may have asked at 14, why did this happen to me? But I'm talking about a boy, 14. I'm talking about a young man that was taken away from all the God factor and put in a foreign country, and yet he stood tall. I'm talking about a kid 14 years old who wrote in his first chapter that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. I'm talking about a 14-year-old boy that stood and looked at the king one day and said, Do whatever you got to do, whatever you have to do, but I'm going to be who I am 14 years old, hey, without a choir, hey, without a preacher, hey, without a mentor, here we are in 2014 and there's something inside of me that says somebody needs to get a stand up in them in 2014 and say whatever happens in this godless world, I'm going to take a stand for almighty God in my life. Just a thought. Daniel was caught in a culture that forgot God. And when a nation forgets God, everyone suffers. The righteous along with the unrighteous. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8 and 28, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And Joseph told his brothers back in Genesis that sold him to Egyptian officials. He said, what you meant for evil God meant for good to save your lives and the lives of our people. I want to tell you that no matter what happens to you this year, everything comes through God. God is not shocked with anything that comes into your life. But when you think that you have run out of God in your life, if you'll look up and say, help, he's right there for you. God Almighty, who never ran out on an Old Testament character that we preach, is not going to run out on New Testament people that believe his word and love his truth and edify his name in their life. Somebody needs to get excited about that right now because we're going to talk tonight about some things that may be a little bit on the negative side, but I believe with God's help we're going to see some things tonight that lets us know that no matter what happens, no matter what takes place, God is for me. And if God's for me, who can be against me? Amen? So God was at work behind the scenes. God had an ultimate plan for a 14-year-old boy and three other 14-year-old kids to influence the highest leaders of power in the ancient world. God was at work. He was at work. He could not foresee, Daniel could not foresee his advancement to the highest positions of the courts of Babylon and Persia. But in the later years of his life, Daniel would exercise more power than any other member of the Jewish race that had ever been known. He would also have the privilege of leading his nation to repentance back to God. Daniel is the prime example of how to turn adversity into opportunity. Everybody say adversity. Adversity. It will come. come. Everybody say opportunity. Opportunity. It It will come. And I will not allow adversity To take away my privilege of opportunity in my life amen 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 Amen. so here's what I want you to do I, I, I caught a few frowns coming into church tonight let me tell you something I want you to think right now I am the most privileged person in the whole world to know Jesus Christ I want you to think that right now and I want you to put a big old smile on your face And I want you to quit talking out loud what's happening in your world. I want you to promise me right here tonight that you won't go out talking how bad things are in your life. Because hell cannot read your mind. Only God knows your thoughts and tries the reins. Hell don't know what's going on inside. Oh, he likes to send ideas and thoughts, but he don't know what's going on. Why don't you put an everlasting smile on your face and put praise in your heart and walk through this year and say, You know, he might be messing with me, but I've got a power with God Almighty that's greater than anything that hell can throw against me. And I'm going to turn adversity into opportunity in my life in 2014. Amen. I want to say something to you. You come to my house anytime. If I, ever, if I ever pocket dial you, I'm probably bragging on you. I'm probably talking good about you. Because I want hell to know something. I want hell to know something. He's not going to get my attitude. He's not going to get my attitude. He may throw adversity against me. But behind adversity's door is opportunity. Behind the door of adversity is another opportunity. That's why he throws adversity. Because hell does not want you to get the opportunity because you're going to be overridden by adversity. But if you can understand that behind adversity is opportunity, that you can smile through any situation and you can walk out of here saying no matter what happens. Come on, say it. No matter what happens in 2014, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth yes sir nobody can predict how your life will fare in 2014 but from all forecasts it will probably be a wild ride I got in the car with my cousin one day she had just got her license in Oklahoma City I was in the back seat my brother was in the front seat they barely let me go because I was a little brother And they were going to go get a Coke at the Dairy Queen or drive-in somewhere. And I was in the back seat. And she made it about two minutes from the house, driving like she had been on a racetrack. She said, boy, I can't wait to show you how good I can drive. Two minutes in, we had a horrible collision. And I was in the back seat, and I got hit. And uh, I thought about that today, and I got mad at her. (laughs) But I will pray. I will promise you there's going to be some wild rides and some rapid changes in 2014. There really is. We are now a part of a world society, and through the Internet, we have access to the world. Like it or not, we are all part of what we call cyber future. Now, when the Webcam first came into being, or the web, the web first came into being, the MIT student was interviewed on TV. I read this somewhere. The student had a small black box strapped to his head covering his left lens of his glasses. He had glasses on. He had had this black box covering his left lens. And as the interviewer spoke to him, the MIT student was taping and broadcasting the interview back to his own web pages and storing it up in his own databank. Listen to this. The unit strapped to his head had a small computer screen that he constantly monitored with his left eye while viewing his immediate surrounding with his right eye. He also had a state-of-the-art five-key entry pad strapped to his left hand so he was able to access data every waking moment. And the interviewer asked him, why do you want to be constantly online? And the young man replied, because I am am immediately in contact with the entire world and have unlimited access to information. Ask me any questions, I have the answer. And the interviewer asked him the lifetime statistics of Mickey Mantle, who used to play for the New York Yankees. What were his lifetime stats? And immediately the young man keyed in the entry pad and reported he was receiving data on his screen. And he shared in details the lifetime stats of Mickey Mantle. And he had no idea who Mickey Mantle even was. But he knew the details of his life. And from the life of Daniel, we are going to study some things here tonight. We're going to detail this man. And we're going to learn five lessons that we can apply to our lives as we enter the new year. I want you to understand. I'm going to tap into Daniel tonight. And we're going to tap into some attitudes and some ideas tonight. You ready for that? So what kind of person God wants me to be? Number one, number one, we must accept the inevitable interruptions of life. Everybody say life Life is full 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 of interruptions. interruptions. You ever had one? You ever had things go bump in the night? anybody ever broke your toe on some furniture in the night? Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people visit Disneyland in Southern California or Disney World, Epcot Center in Orlando, Florida, and and when you're at Disneyland or when you're at Disney World, you have fun and you forget about the world outside. I was invited to the Masters in 2010. And, and, and Augusta, Georgia is one of the honkiest little towns. It's just honky. It's just not, it's not much to it. I mean, there's not places to eat. You have to get out of town to find a good meal. But you drive into this gravel parking lot. Some of it's concrete. I guess if you pay enough money, you get on a concrete parking lot. You drive in this gravel parking lot, and there's a huge fence there. And you walk through that fence, and you come into a place called Augusta National Golf Course. And it's where they play the masters. And when I tell you something, folks, when I tell you something, when I tell you this, when you walk in there, you forget that you're in Augusta, Georgia. You forget that you're around Fausto's Chicken and all the Dairy Queens in the world. You forget that there's just all kinds of fast food restaurants up and down that road. No place to sit down and eat. It's just fast food stuff. It's just a little bitty town. And for 50 weeks out of the year, it's a slumbering little village. And for two weeks, it is a madhouse that they call heaven. And here's what I want to tell you. When you walk into that place, it is so peaceful. It is so wonderful. In fact, I want to go again this year. I'm trying to find somebody to help me get there. If you know anybody, send them to me. Amy thought I'd ask that? I thought I'd say that. I won't miss any church. I'll just go and come back. But anyhow, anyhow, when you get in there, you want to stay there. It's kind of like you feel when you get to Disneyland or Disney World. You think that, oh, if everything could be like this. But when the day was over, when the day was over, we had to get back outside that wall and get in our car and drive through Augusta again because then we realized that we were really on planet Earth and we wasn't in heaven. And so bottom line is life is going to come at you and it's going to have some interruptions. There's going to be interruptions in your life. There's going to be things that are going to take place in your life that you don't understand. Disneyland and Disney World are not your paradise. You're going to have to go through some things. Wrong people are going to get robbed And wrong people are going to get sick, and wrong people are going to die. And we're going to say, why did that happen? And this is not the way my life is supposed to be. This is not the way I planned my life. This is not the race I entered. Life consists of inevitable interruptions. Say amen to that. They're painful, but many are joyful. William Ward said it this way. He said, adversity causes some men to break, but it causes others to break records. Adversity causes some men to break it causes other men to break records. Helen Keller said, keep your face to the sunshine and you will not ever see the shadows. I love that. Here's what I want to tell you. See adversity as adventures. And see adversities as opportunities. Because understand that adversity is going to happen because we live in a society that is not a God society. We are a church. We're the called out people. And we are people that have a promise and we have a tomorrow and we have an opportunity to get to where God wants us to get but we're going to face some things on our journey we're going to face some things on our pilgrim's progress we're going to face some things on our way to that celestial city we are and when we face them we've got to understand that adversity and that in, in opportune situations are going to happen in my life. They're going to take place. But I must move forward. I must understand that if God put me in this race, he is able to keep that that he's committed unto me, and I'm going to make it to where he wants me to be someday. you got to believe that. you got to believe that. you got to believe that. When Jesus returns, there will be a lasting peace. Revelation said, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he'll live with them. There will be his people and God himself will be with them and there will be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain for the order has passed away. He who seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. You're going to have interruptions of life and you've got to accept them. Amen. Daniel. Daniel, you got to get this, folks. Daniel, <coughs> when he first gets to Babylon, <coughs> the king is Nebuchadnezzar. And in the second chapter, after after serving three years, in the second chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he, and he has the wise sages come in. At the end of chapter 1, you read that Daniel and uh, the Hebrew boys had ten times more wisdom than the best magical men of all of Babylon. They were ten times stronger and sharper. Now, you got to get this. We're talking about 17, 18, 20-year-old kids. You understand that? We're talking about kids here. We're not talking about grown adults. We're talking about kids away from home, away from mom, away from dad, away from the temple. And yet they understood that they had something to do in that foreign country. Folks, you've got to get this. These boys were young. They were just kids. They were just little old bitty, little pushins. They were nothing. They were not Gulliver. They were not giants. They were not massive men. They were not warriors. In fact, they made them eunuchs. They were men that did not have position. They were men that did not have power. They were men that did not know how to do what they needed to do. But God gave them the understanding. And in the second chapter, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And to make a long story short, he says, I want the wise sages to come in. So they come in. He said, I had a dream. And I want you to tell me what a dream, then interpret it. And they said, well, sir, if you'll tell us the dream, we'll interpret it. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to tell me what the dream is, then tell me what the interpretation is. They said, well, sir, uh, you know, we, we've never done it that way. You know, I mean, we, we need to, won't you tell it to maybe your handlers and maybe we'll just, we'll meet with them and then we'll come back and tell you. He said, no, no, no. If you don't know my dream and don't know my interpretation, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill every man in the kingdom that's supposed to be a wise man. So when the word got to Daniel, Daniel came in there and he said, sir, He'll give me a little time. I'll go and talk to the Lord about it. And he came back in. He told him everything. He said, sir, there's a, you saw this image. It had a head of gold. had a body and arms of silver. It had a stomach of, of brass. And it had legs of iron. and it had, it had feet of iron and clay. And said, you were that head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar said, wow, wow. Don't kill anybody. Daniel has saved everybody's life. Now, that's going to come in handy here in this little while because Daniel's going to need some help and nobody's going to help him. But Daniel had to stand with his life on the line and look at that king and say, I'm going to tell you what God told me to tell you. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, that's walking in faith. Okay? You understand that? Okay, you understand that? And so so in the third chapter, in the third chapter, because... Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar he's that head of gold. Daniel uh, Nebuchadnezzar made this big old big old bronze big old gold statue. Put it out in the plains and he made everybody come down and bow down to him because he was that head of gold. But now that's when the other three boys, the other teenagers got involved. Teenagers. Not grown people, teenagers. Not grandpas and grandmas, teenagers, away from their homeland. Oh, you're going to get this after a while. Away from all their kinfolks, away from the temple, away from everything Jewish. They were out there by themselves, four boys. And Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't bow down and worship me, I'm going to take you out. And so they played the horns, they played the dulciner, they played all that stuff. And all these people bowed down and started worshiping. Oh, we love Nebuchadnezzar, head to go, head to go. Somebody said, Neb, we got a problem. There's three boys out here that came from Israel, and they're not, they're not bowing. Who are they? Well, Michelle, Azariah, and Hananiah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, bring them to me. So they brought, oh, I love this. So they brought those boys to him. See, adversity's going to come. They brought those boys to him, and he said to them, he said, hey, boys, don't you understand who I am? Your own compadre said, I'm the head of gold. This is, this is, this is who I am. You need to bow down and worship me. And they said, sir. We be not careful to answer you. We know who you are, but we know who we serve. Yeah. Teenagers. Yeah. You got to get this. Teenagers. It's not just, hey, you want not drink a little with me? Mm, well, I don't know. I don't know how God feel about that. <laughs> you want not do a little drugs with me? Well, you know, I don't know how bad you feel about all that. You want to get sexy with me? Well, you know, I don't know. In a foreign country, 800 miles from home, we're not careful to answer you, old king. We will not bow down to your image. That's how you handle adversity. We won't bow down. He said, make the fire seven times hotter. Those men that threw them in there, they threw them in with their coats and their hats and their hose. They had hose. I guess they wore hose back in those days. (laughs) They threw them in there with their shoes and everything. And as soon as they threw them in, Nebuchadnezzar got a look in there. And he said, wait a minute, boys. Didn't we throw three in there? I think I see the form of a fourth man. And it looks like the son of God. Isn't it amazing how spiritual some people can get? He recognized the Son of God. Isn't it amazing how spiritual they can get when God starts working for our good? I'm here to tell you something. Don't be afraid to face your adversity this year. Understand that God is for you and God's with you. And if God is with you, I don't care how hot the fire gets. You walk in that fire. Don't you bow down to what the world wants you to bow down to. That's the kind of person God wants us to be. You stand for right. You stand for... Integrity, you stand for morality, you stand for truth, you stand for it. God wants to help you. So that's chapter 3. So chapter 4, Neb's has another dream and he gets it interpreted again. He tells him, you're going to go out because you messed up. You're going to go out and graze for seven years like an animal. He goes out there and he grazes seven years and he had wings and he had bird claws and he had long fingernails and he grazed like an oxen. In chapter 5, chapter 5, his son comes in to rule. Once again, Daniel's got to prove himself. Adversity's going to come, folks. Daniel's got to prove himself. Belshazzar's having this impious feast one night. He didn't get it. He didn't get it from his daddy. He didn't catch it. And he says, bring me the vessels from the sacred house of God that we brought from Jerusalem. Bring me vessels from the temple. And they brought them in, and they, they, they started drinking out of them. And all of a sudden, there was a hand writing <laughs> against the wall, me-ne, me-ne, tinkle, and he, his knees started knocking. He was scared to death, and he said, Ooh, what are we going to do? And his wife said, I think I can help you. There's a man in the kingdom who has the spirit of God. Now, by now, he probably was 21, 22. Wow, can you imagine this? This is what blows my mind, that kids stood up to a kingdom. He'll hit you tonight in your dream and you'll be standing up straight up in the bed saying, I can can stand it, I can take this thing. Because kids stood up to a king, I can stand up to this world. And Daniel comes in, said, you know what, Belshazzar, so that, uh, that's a warning. Said, so you've been weighing the balances and you've been found wanting. And said, this day your kingdom is divided between the Medes and the Persians, and you probably won't see mourning. And he died that day. That's the second king that a young man had to stand in front of. Then there came the third one named Darius. And in chapter six, Darius tries his will against him. And he says, Okay, I hear you've been praying three times a day. What are you going to do about that? You know, you're not supposed to pray to that God supposed to pray to our God and Daniel said well I'm sorry that's who I'm going to pray to It's my God so he threw him in a lion's den or pardon me a den of lions there is a difference and Daniel gets down there boy I'm, I'm fixing to rare back and preach just a minute here and I'm going to let you go I'm going to let you go I'm not going to touch the other five points I'm going to let you go after this but he gets in that lion's den and, and he lays down on Leo And Darius is walking the floor all night long because he knows, he knows that this young man is powerful, he's used of God, he's mighty, and he knows that he's done something that probably wasn't right, and he's so afraid that he won't live to morning. But what he should have remembered is that the God <laughs> that has kept his hand on him all the time he was there, the God that let him stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar without fear, the God that let him stand in front of Belshazzar without fear, is the same God that's gonna take him out of the den of lions without any fear. Oh, I'm preaching to you right now. Daniel is giving us lesson after lesson after lesson. And so the next morning, Darius comes and said, Daniel, are you all right? He said, Oh, King, live forever. And those lines were just yawning. "Ah, Get him out of here. We want some real food. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that in six chapters, Daniel had to face three kings and he's a young man? Isn't that amazing? I will preach to you tonight that you are going to have interruptions in life. But don't get hung up about the source of your situation. When adversity comes, it's natural to ask why. We're tempted to play the blame game. If I had different parents, if I had better health, if God hadn't hadn't allowed this to happen to me, to my family, life would be so much better, blah, blah, blah. Adversity provides opportunity. For sin or opportunity to live by faith. We can sin and yield to Satan or make a choice to live by faith. In every challenge, folks, that we go through, in every challenge, God offers hope. I love this scripture. 1 Corinthians, I want you to memorize this before the year's out. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you're tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it and you can bear it. Here's what I'm telling you. Don't get hung up about the source of your situation. The third thing I want to tell you is resist the belief that you are entitled to the good life. Hey, let me tell you something. You know what the good life is? Let me just help you right quick. It's not drinking milk in a bar. Let me tell you what the good life is. The good life is knowing Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. Listen to me. The good life is waking up every morning being a child of the king. Come on. The good life is saying you're my king, Lord. I love you with all my heart. The good life is knowing Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ was buried for you. Jesus Christ arose for you. He sent back the power to you. He's coming back again. That's the good life. No matter what happens on the front side or back side of that, that is the good life. Amen. McDonald said, you deserve a break today. Really? (laughs) Advertisers would have you believe that you deserve more, a better model, a little happiness. It's okay to indulge in Hagen Dolls ice cream every day. It's all right. Don't matter if you gain five pounds a week. It don't matter. If it will make you happy, dump your mate of 15 to 20 years and find a newer model. It's okay. Because I need the good life. I want the good life. If someone gets less than they feel they're entitled to, they say life isn't fair. Why has God done this to me? God is your God. And the greatest life you can have is knowing that you have a God in your life. Amen. Amen. So whoever, A.W. Tozer says this, whoever seeks God as a means toward desired ends will not find God. God will not be used. Everybody say, I have a God. I have a God. I have a God. I'm not going to... I'm not going to get hung up on the source of my situation. I know adversity is going to come. Number four, resist blaming others for the problems you face. Now, Daniel had every human right to blame. Nebuchadnezzar and other leaders for his situation. He refused to blame them but rather chose to honor God and suffer the consequences. Even when they put him in a prison with lions, Daniel did not become bitter, but he waited on God's timing. Someone has said, a Christian is like a tea bag; It's not much good until it's gone through some hot water. But then it flavors everything. And I will declare to you, for you to continue to blame others for your situation becomes like a crutch to keep you from taking responsibility. For your attitude and saps your strength and find the meaning of life. Jesus did not even blame others for his cross. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was through the pain that Jesus suffered on the cross that provided salvation and forgiveness for the sins of the world. Don't blame others for the problems you face. Let's make a a commitment this year. No blame games this year. Everybody say, I'm going to step up, Pastor. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to be culpable for my own situation. I'm gonna take responsibility for my own actions, amen? Nobody's to blame. And the first person they point to is a preacher. Preacher, you didn't preach good enough. <laughs> and and Mitch didn't do the offering right. I got offended at him. And Josh thinks he's pretty and I got offended at him. And Brad, he thinks he's a Hulk. And I got offended at him. And Randy thinks there's nobody can do music like him. And, Oh, people get offended at people. No more this year. No more. No more. I'm talking about a teenager. I'm talking about a teenager that faced three kings and whipped them all because he had a God factor. The good life is knowing Almighty God in your life. Say amen to that. And I close tonight. I close tonight. It's time to quit. It's time to quit. I got got slow here on my thought. Remember, God wants to use you in a grander way than you could ever imagine or dream. That's why Second Corinthians said, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. Amen. Everybody said, God's got a grand life for me. Amen. Ephesians 3 and 20 said, Now unto him that's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in the Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, let me, let me close. Let me close. Thank you, Randy. He snuck up here on me. <laughs> In the Hollywood movie, Ten Cup, anybody ever see that movie? Golf pro Roy McAvoy calls it a defining moment. McAvoy, played by actor Kevin Costner, is a happy-go-lucky, underachieving golf pro who finds himself miraculously playing in the U.S. Open. And tied for the lead on the final day of the tournament, he faces a critical decision on a very difficult shot on the last hole. Take a big risk, go for the green and win, or play it safe, make par and force a playoff. Risk it all or play it safe. That was a defining event for Roy. In fact, Roy uses his favorite expression to sum up this situation. He said, Define the moment, or the moment defines you. I want to say it to this church Define the moment or the moment defines you. In other words, things that come at you quick, you either define them or they're going to define you. You either get on top of them or they're going to get on top of you. You either walk through it or it's going to walk over you. you got to define the moment or it will define you. So Roy is a risk taker. That's who he is. He can do nothing else but be true to himself. Here's what I'm telling you. I have some mutual funds I've never talked about my investment portfolio but I have some mutual funds and in my mutual funds I have low risk I have medium risk and I have high risk and the high risk can do big time but it can also lose big time the medium risk is pretty steady the low risk is extremely steady but every now and then you just want to kind of say I I think I want to take a little risk here I want to try to get that 20% commission. I want to try to do that just for a little while, see if it'll work. And then when you get whipped, you say, oh, God, I should have stayed in the medium or the low. But here's what I'm telling you. With Jesus Christ, there is no risk. if I preach anything this year if I tell you anything this year of substance it's going to be that Jesus Christ is the best friend you could ever have in the whole world and by knowing him and by loving him and by serving him I promise you he'll take you through the adversities he'll cause you to be a person that'll be stand up he'll cause you to be somebody that doesn't play the blame game he'll cause you to be somebody that is grander than you ever thought you could become in life Because when you place yourself in his hands and you make a purpose that you're not going to defile yourself with everything that the world has, you watch God. He's going to make you the greatest that you could ever be for the kingdom of God. And this church is going to be greater in 2014 than it ever was in any preceding year. I believe that with all my heart. Let me close with this. A zealous man in religion is preeminently a man of one thing. He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up by one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he's rich or whether he's poor, for all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He lives for one thing. And that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If he is consumed in the, in the very burning... He cares not for it. He is content. He feels that like a lamp. He is made to burn. And if consumed in burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him. Thank you, J.C. Ryle, for those beautiful words. I'm telling you, when you get one thing, when you get focused on one thing, there is nothing that can separate you from the God of heaven. Why don't we absolutely take a tip from a teenager tonight? and say it doesn't matter what king comes against us, Belshazzar, the mighty man with the gold, the golden-headed man. Why don't we take a tip from a man named Daniel who looked at Belshazzar and said, you know what, you messed up. Why don't we take a tip from Daniel who could look at Darius when was thrown in the lions and say, Darius live forever. Why don't we take a tip from a young man that was away from home and had nobody. And yet we can come on Sunday morning and hear a choir. We can come on Sunday morning and hear praise courses. We can come on Sunday morning and hear a word of God. And we can stand strong this year. Amen? That's the kind of people God wants us to be in 2014. Stand to your feet and clap your hands all over the house. That's a, that's a word for you tonight. That's a word for you tonight. That's a word for you tonight. that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.